welcome to The Beaten Track, an indie music and culture podcast brought to you by Joe Bullock and Louis Baker. Today... Hello! Sorry, I was going straight in. <laughs> I didn't even let you say hello. It's no, all right. It's an important topic, but you can't... You can't yeah, I won't say anything. Don't worry. Okay, this week we are talking sampling and sample culture. So... Yeah. Um, oh... We should we reveal what album we're speaking about anyway, don't we? So I might as well. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking about Mad Libs, Shades of Blue. Um, I can't remember what the subtitle is. Something is something in, in Blue Note. Invading Blue Notes or Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. So that's that's what we'll be covering in terms of that reaches a more sort of hip hop and jazz sort of element. But I mean sampling is um it's a technique that's been used throughout the history of recorded music, essentially, and um, amongst a host of different genres and movements, uh, countries, etc., yeah. etc. So we're not going to provide an exactly uh, overwhelmingly detailed. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing to big thing to cover, actually. Yes, and I guess a slightly, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing to to cover as well because i think sometimes you can hear sampling well often you hear sampling you might never you might never even realize in some senses i mean i know that sampling became maybe the the sampling that most people talk about is probably sort of uh, 80s and 90s hip-hop maybe when people became more aware of using it and it became more of a thing really but uh, yeah i guess it's the funny thing about sampling you could maybe listen to an album or a song and perhaps never even know or um so yeah i mean certainly a lot of popular music now uses samples or does an alternate thing which is buying the rights to certain music and then yeah. interpreting it in a way that that is is not directly sampling an album or a record but is essentially a sample or a reference to previous music essentially so yeah, it's, it's, oh sorry. Yeah, or I mean it's interesting thinking about the album that we're doing today, which is just essentially, you know, it's just completely sample heavy and it's you know it's a producer being allowed to go back into the um to the records of a of a record company and sort of reimagine works and stuff like that. And I think that that's I don't know, maybe we're that that's such a sample heavy example of, of of sample culture if you like compared to maybe maybe there's more um sneaky ways of doing it if you like or maybe ways of using it that uh, that aren't so obvious yes and i think also it comes down to um issues like uh rights and access to music essentially and the 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 access that Madlib was allowed to have for for Shades of Blue essentially being allowed to to use the catalogue of Blue Note that's not really a something that exists you know it's a special case of an album being yeah. commissioned. Um, so in terms of the progression of of sampling essentially, there's been sampling in terms of of music concrete and experimental music since very early sort of recorded music but i think with the introduction of something like the mellotron in the 60s you have the ability to 
to play back recorded tracks as essentially as part of an instrument as part of keyboard notes essentially and then i think electronic um sampling gets makes it more commercially available in the 80s yeah. much more commercially viable you have a lot of pop musicians using it in the 80s but you also have dance hall dub reggae those kind of things sampling yeah. very heavily <clears throat> yeah i think yeah there's there's that yeah i think in the 80s where you start to get this sort of more common idea of of mainly sort of funk and soul records being sampled um in hip-hop and and but also in sort of in other areas i know that you know i sometimes find it interesting to find out like what are the most used samples and sometimes i think it's going to be some maybe a soul record or um or something but i know that things like um Led Zeppelin often sampled the drum the drum tracks from from them and things like that are often used in, in songs and in albums that I wasn't aware of or or things like that. So it's actually quite pervasive as a thing sampling and, and maybe a lot bigger than sometimes I thought. I mean, yeah, I think the thing with hip hop as well is it's like if you hear a drum track in a hip hop song, certainly like. Um, circa like before 1990s it's going to be a sample of some kind of of soul song yeah you know jazz is more rare that that's what we're coming to today but i mean it could be from a jazz record a drum mm. break from like gospel uh blues rhythm blues you know so you are speaking about sampling but then i guess what comes up when we speak about albums that are sample heavy is it's more using sampling as a device outside of genre it's almost its own genre outside of hip-hop and things like that because it's it's so um sort of disjunctive and just bringing samples together it becomes another form of music more like a collage or something than hip-hop yeah. which is about you know rapping over beats that are extrapolated from these things but it's about how the rhythm's created rather than like melody so it's it's a different form of music essentially yeah I mean, I think some of them, the other popular albums that we would consider, especially like in terms of alternative and things, you'd have the Avalanches would be a huge example. You'd have a lot yeah, of trip hop albums as well, Porter's Head, uh, Shades of yeah. Wax, those kind of things. Um, and also uh, David Byrne and Brian Eno's My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. You know, Eno, things like that, Bowie, some, some of those yeah. albums. You know, yeah, I that. definitely, definitely thought of trip hop as being a good example, especially in the sense that I think trip hop, um, the 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 tempos of trip hop are extremely interesting, and and you know when you compare maybe bands like Porter's Head and um, to maybe samples used by Massive Attack in the early days, there's slightly different sort of uses of it and. So yeah, instantly when I when I think of sample culture, I think my thoughts go towards um, in terms of maybe alternative music, like you said, towards trip hop. I think Portishead's a really good example of like because when we come to sample culture, we'll get onto this, I'm sure as well, is the idea of of art and what makes original music or what makes good mm. music. And I think what's so great about Portishead is the use of samples to create these songs that are more traditional song structures, but then you have this 
the sound that's using um, record scratching and sampling and things like that. Yeah. That gives it this real edge and makes the songs kind of, even songs that are love songs or something, and Porter said, sound creepy and sort of weird and yeah. like this collage. And that the um, same thing with Massive Attack to a certain extent is this really interesting blend of sample culture, but then these songs that are, that are not necessarily yeah, yeah. just, not just instrumental and that, the, you know. So, I mean, Stevie Wonder created an all sample album as well. Um, other, you know, Yellow Magic Orchestra um, from Japan. Early electronic groups obviously would be, you know, huge. One of the ones was listed on Wikipedia was Big Audio Dynamite. I'm not sure if you ventured into yeah. that because it's the guy from The Clash, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this show, there's, there's a lot to mention in terms of people that have done it and stuff. And yeah, I think there's almost, yeah, it's funny. I don't think it's just, it's what sample culture is strange because maybe I don't think about, uh, think about it all too much. But then when I start to think about how many uh, albums I enjoy that, that use it or artists I enjoy that use it, becomes become more aware of it. Um, so, yeah. And I think, yeah. I haven't got a great. I don't, I don't really know what else to say about sample culture. Really, I think it's a a big topic. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just sort of going off like albums that I enjoy and things like that. I mean, I've always been a big hip hop fan, and I think it's interesting when you look up hip hop albums that are sample based because a lot of lists and things that I encountered were like the you know, as we said, the ones there's sample completely so yeah dj shadow or paul's boutique by beastie boys or like jay diller or, yeah you know but at the same time i think of like some of my favorite hip-hop albums like enter the wu-tang or something and the amount of samples on that is like staggering and some of like you know piano samples and things like that are the, they're kind of central to the tracks and then you have also with the, the wu-tang is like their whole aesthetic is based on martial arts culture and sampling those movies and things like that so it's also interesting to use sampling as a kind of referencing tool almost as like a cultural um, not even as a musical effect but as a kind of way to position something in terms of culture and what yeah. you have with public enemy or something is uh referencing like uh black power leaders and stuff like that to really sort of contextualize their music in yeah. terms of that historical struggle and things like that so yeah definitely i think you know the sampling um well maybe not just the sampling but that you know that the whole album that we're going to be coming on to is um so much more than just about the samples as well and and it's interesting when when people you know there's a there's a great deal of texture to the album there's lots of different things going on and there's lots of snippets of spoken word and and um, you know, even like a fake live recording and stuff like that. And I think that sample culture kind of, you know, is, is linked to that and the, um, the use in the using of different, um, different medias, mediums and stuff like that in, in albums creates a different, can create different sort of context, as you say. And it's, you know, links well to, um, to shades of blue because it, 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 you know, it can play tricks with you a little bit and, and, and use different styles. Hmm. I think we'll we'll go into Shades of Blue unless there's anything else you want to sort of 
talk about in terms of sampling and things like that. No, I mean, the interesting thing about, um, I think maybe we could talk a little bit about Madlib. One, two, one, two. I wasn't aware, I hadn't listened to this album, but I was aware of him and his work because of another similar album he did um, on in almost the exact same premise for Trojan Records, um, one of my favourite record companies, and um, like a, he did like a like a 40-odd track um, remix album of reggae and ska classics, mm-hmm. um, which I think it might have been the album released before this one. I think it's called Blunted in the Bomb Shelter. And it's that was, I was aware of that record. And, and that's a really interesting record because it kind of, there's about 40 tracks on it. And it's, there are, each track is about a minute and a half long of each. Um, it doesn't even sample the entire track and kind of is a sort of, yeah, very short, snappy, and slightly strange sample album, although extremely enjoyable as well. So, it was, it was interesting coming to this because I was kind of aware of that and was thinking, oh, maybe that this is what that's going to be like. But it, in the end, it was something quite different. Hmm, yeah, I mean, I haven't listened to that album, but it's in, yeah, it's interesting in the context of something like reggae and doing like shorter. Because yeah. that sounds more like a, like a Jay Diller or something when you're doing quite short tracks yeah. and it's more... What I feel like about um, Shades of Blue is it's kind of very much the the samples are often quite short and it's about building these compositions more than like yeah it feels more of a slower pace and more of like a building these instrumentals on top of each other but um i mean another thing to say about madlib is he's one of one of the most um well known certainly in like alternative circles certainly in terms of alternative hip-hop he's one of the most well-known producers um, for working with MF Doom on Mad Villainy and also yeah. working with Quasimodo, working with Freddie Gibbs uh, twice. So it's quite a well-respected figure within that world as well. And Yeah, definitely. I think he yeah, fits in the sort of, there's a sort of um, slightly avant-garde tradition to, to hip-hop that he fits into and that often incorporates elements of jazz and electronic music and things like that, that are obviously um, uh, there in this album. And there's a, a sort of experimental and kind of visionary idea of him. So, yeah, I think, you know, well-respected and, and also a very prolific um, creator of music and extreme amount of music to listen to. And, mm. you know, things like that album that I mentioned you know, aren't even available on, on like Spotify and stuff like that. There's a lot of music that maybe is kind of hidden and stuff like that or done under different, you know, alter egos and under different names and, and hundreds of different projects. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, and also the, the albums he does with, like, artists and stuff are sometimes uh, sort of 
portmanteau sort of names you know they um he's like joining his name to the artist essentially so yeah. it's kind of like this this interaction between producer and it forefronts the role of producer in hip-hop which is like perhaps a lot of mainstream hip-hop albums don't have that connection mm. even if if the producers are like hugely important so um the you have the introduction of the album but then you have the first track is slim's return which is um probably it's one of the i don't know it's one of the most listenable tracks i'd say like the sort of catchiest and just um very uh, it's got this soulful sort of the strings on it and this uh sort of double bass sample that makes it kind of really sort of rhythmic and propulsive and mm. it's very and what you have as well as the intersection of, of jazz and hip-hop it's got samples of krs-one as well so it's like very much announcing itself as well as a jazz uh record as very influenced by hip-hop as well and it's not yeah it's yeah it's it's got a very um quite a distinctive um opener I know it's the second track after the introduction but very quite distinctive and i know like um it's a rework of um a gene harris track the look of slim and I, I like the fact that it has this sort of um this kind of looping sound that you get in in some of the albums it quite it has a sort of funky loopy kind of sound and some some wiki wiki in there for you joe i know you're there a big is, fan yeah. of wiki wiki my favorite instrument actually yeah yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think it's a really strong opener, and, and I like the fact that there is um, spoken introductions to a lot of the tracks as well. I like the fact I think that adds a real sort of texture and um, and um, you know a different you know it, it, yeah more more texture to the album, more to more to to get from the album. Yeah, and like I said, like the samples he's using are quite. They're often quite small it's often like you know two double bass notes or yeah. one drum sample and stuff so it, it is quite free and he's bringing in these these elements quite slowly so i mean it's i don't know how you'd describe the album it's kind of i guess it's an instrumental hip-hop album but then it's got i suppose with the influence of jazz and things like that it's kind of it adds another layer to the to the compositional aspects of the album where he's willing to take it on either these like solos or just these other elements that make it more sort of more as a whole rather than just a, a yeah like a reimagining of, of a jazz track essentially yeah it's very yeah it's, it's it's got a quite a maybe a quite down tempo feel to a lot of it it's not i think maybe when you think of sort of fusing jazz and hip-hop maybe you'd think of maybe something it's not it's not completely radical it doesn't like you say it doesn't completely reimagine things it it kind of blends things quite well and has a little bit more depth than maybe i was expecting as well and yeah i mean and but we're also kind of has surprises as well there's also tracks that that provide different different things as well and they're you know so yeah yeah, there's, I mean, there's tracks with rapping in, you know, so he's, I think it does give it this real variety, whereas uh, on one hand, it's quite an instrumental album you can sort of listen to. It's kind of like you could, you know, you could study to it or something. It's quite, mm. in many ways, it's unobtrusive in certain ways. And it is about, you know, bringing these instrumentals. It's not 
nothing's going to throw you off in a certain way. But at the same time, you know, you have songs with raps in them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's different kinds of sampling as in you've got the phone calls, which as well as giving it the sense of being a celebration of Blue Note and having all these people ring in like, oh, saying it's cool and stuff that he's doing. Mm. That. And also like samples of jazz musicians talking and stuff. It's it's also got this sort of structuring and sort of interspersed. So it's yeah. providing it this sort of structure that wouldn't exist without. Yeah, I mean, it, I like that. Yeah, I said that before. I mean, I like the those bits of the the spoken bits of it and the the introductions of of things. Um, I think it, as you're right, provides structure and provides more than just, you know, it's not just twelve straight uh jazz tracks that are reworked you know there are it's more of a kind of there's a slight sense of a labor of love if you like you know you can tell that madlib really respects the work that he's you know the the songs that he's working with and he's trying to maybe teach the history of blue note records and and jazz a little bit more as well and um yeah almost reminded me of um uh songs for the deaf uh, in the way in which you know the the radio, you know Queens of Stone Age and the radio um, introductions of tracks and things like that and, and spoken bits and yeah, I've always liked that sort of thing in albums. It gives it a sort of a more conceptual feel as well. Yes, I mean, yeah, the the co- the the concept and the project of the album is quite interesting because in terms of the context of where hip hop sampling was at that time, in 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 the the early nineties, you have a court battle that essentially means that the samples do have to be cleared um in terms of you know you have to pay for samples at some point and, and no longer can they be used however small or whatever i mean essentially if something's recognized by an artist you're, you're kind of screwed in terms of using samples mm. and you have these sort of some songs um having sort of prices of samples to be prohibitive to the point of being impossible to use essentially and what this album is is sort of something that wouldn't even be attempted before that period because it's so um so much about being immersed in this one record company that it would be impossible to fly even even and certainly you know so it's about this collaboration and it's also about you know they have sequences where it's almost a documentary sort of idea of it's uh you know critics talking about you know how many great albums were produced under blue yeah and things like that so it's you know it's a it's kind of like a a jewel it's you know it's good for the company as well it's sort of it was revitalizing and and almost advertising these these pursuits yeah well is there any specific tracks you want to you want to delve into um, well, that's the thing about this album, really, is I, I don't think we'll be able to, like, milk, like, certain tracks in terms of... Um, yeah. I mean, I really like Mystic Bounce. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the one I had in mind for, to first go to, so, yeah. Okay. It's got this, like, repeated clapping and the bass uh, rhythm that gives it this really sort of chaotic sort of rhythm, and it's just kind of... It's just a really fun song, I think even though most of the songs are built upon these repeated drum samples and then adding the other instrumental fields, so trumpets, sax, um, you know, strings, things like that, 
there's lots of different sort of tempos and rhythms that he explores and different moods that he evokes through just simply the, these kind of feelings. So Mystic Bounce is a very sort of, you know, less sort of uh, down tempo, maybe more of a sort of mm. excited and, uh, you know, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's got, it's, yeah, it's kind of got that sort of more bouncy groove going through it. Um, and it, yeah, it's good. And I like the fact that it has a sort of, the sort of muffled, you know, speaking and, and clapping going through it as well as another dimension to it. And yeah, I think, like you said, it may be slightly less down tempo and, and, and more, uh, has more of a groove to it. And it's interesting because, you know, it, it is a jazz, you know, obviously the jazz tracks that he's reworking, but there also is a definite funk element going through a lot of the tracks and there are, maybe in the in the fusion of hip hop and jazz you know there is also you could talk about elements of funk and also soul being being used in these tracks as well and there's definitely more of a of a breadth of ideas in some of the tracks and mystic bounce is one of them that's slightly maybe funkier hmm. i mean i think it's interesting that i feel like jazz hip hop is always um it's always like being a concept in hip hop but at the same time, hip hop's always taken more from from funk and R and B and things yeah. like that. And the connection between hip hop and jazz has always been like, in terms of exp ex making explicit. I think you could make arguments in terms of song structures and things like that. But in terms of jazz artists and hip hop art, I mean, Miles Davis. There was like a late album that was mm, sort of hip hop. Yeah. But I mean, and you know, Kendrick Lamar, obviously uses like tons of sort of jazz and almost you know not just jazz samples but does make songs that are genuinely like infused with jazz but yeah at the same time it's it's definitely an under still i'd say an underexplored area of like collaboration and crossover yeah definitely which i don't I think, know why yeah a track that i thought was um was one of the sort of centerpieces of the album. I thought was "Please Set Me at Ease," mm -hmm. and this is think... the one with Vanity's rap. Yeah. yeah. I'm in the maze because I ain't seen you in a long time. Chocolate skin, thick thighs, innocent eyes. So used to be mine with no commitment. You stay committed, hate to laugh, but then I took you through it. I still admit it, but your shape developed looking tighter than ever we used to. Roll whatever, smoking blunts, but escaping all issues. Remember when I first tried to hit it, you held back. Now you smirking because you was flirting, you was all that. My rap finally cracked surface. The weight was worth it after I hit it. Yeah, and it's a rework of, um, and I think it's, I think I've got it written down somewhere. Yeah, Bobby Humphrey track, and it, and it's, um, yeah, it's interesting because obviously it's the only sort of new vocals that are provided on the on the album, and it's maybe a more radical piece for that. And I think that it's placed quite well, sort of in the middle of the album, and and structures the album quite well because it's, um, the the album does. Being instrumental, it, it does have that tendency to sort of maybe meander a little bit and, like you said, can be sort of good to listen to in the background, but this track stands out from that and I think stands out well because of how well that the um, that the rapping is done over the um, the sort of more soulful beat. 
Yeah, and Babsy was also like testing out ideas essentially through these these collaboration projects and you know he'd already done collaborations you know hip-hop productions a lot but you know trying to infuse it with these jazz elements in a way that is really sort of refined and yeah I mean yeah it does stand out but at the same time it's surprising how how well it fits into the album even yeah, though it's yeah. a solitary sort of rap, rap. yeah I think I think you're right you know I think it does it manages I, th- I think I mean I mean it stands out in terms of the, the strength of the track and that but I do think it fits in very well in terms of its placement in the middle of the album and you do feel like you're building up to that song and then you kind of maybe stepping down from that song a little bit as well so so yeah mm. yeah I've, I've actually slid, slid down in my chair a bit um, <laughs> and I think it's possible I'm just gonna I, you give it you give it a pump mate and get yourself back up it's generally never happened in the history of this chair i mean <laughs> it's never moves and now i just found myself completely sort of on the floor i won't no, yeah, you... it's back to normal i've had well <laughs> i don't know what else to say really yeah i really like this album but where do you think it sort of stands because it isn't it's not it hasn't quite achieved the level of cult success that Mm. a lot of Madlib projects have and yeah i mean do you think it's why do you think it stands i think we both enjoy the album but where yeah much? i definitely definitely enjoyed the album and possibly it comes into a number of issues possibly one being the fact that maybe the fusion between jazz and hip-hop maybe isn't as successful or, or maybe when it's so um so overt as this because when you say that you're going to sort of remix um, an entire sort of back catalogue, and you know, even though it's done extremely well uh, in this context, you may be kind of shooting yourself out from other from potential new listeners and stuff. So maybe, maybe there's that. It comes into that issue, and then secondly, possibly is a little bit maybe a little bit long and maybe meanders a little bit and maybe some of the tracks are a little bit, I don't want to say undercooked because I think it's a really good album, but I just think maybe there aren't, there are maybe not as many standout tracks and maybe it's sometimes an instrumental album can feel that way. So yeah, maybe that's some of the problems that it came into. I think it's still a very strong album and very enjoyable though. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And the idea seems daunting to, you know, go into a whole catalogue of, you know, they talk about, you know, having hundreds and hundreds of albums, you know, and it does, you know, it's not a, it's not a, I know you said it's quite a long album, but at the same time, it's not bloated in like this really obvious way or, yeah. or struggling under the sort of weight of all these, these influences and all these different things he could be sampling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very simple with it and very sort of he he he's very focused and yeah it's 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 still quite a cohesive piece of work and it maybe has slight um cyclical elements to it as well and obviously loops are an important part of the um the sampling but you know it definitely feels like a cohesive statement it doesn't feel like it's bitten off more than it can chew at all and mm. And it worked in terms of the celebratory sort of aspect for me because it did make me go back to some of the Blue Note recordings. And yeah. Yeah, me too. I think 
it was good. It, yeah, the exact same. It encouraged you to listen to to maybe artists you hadn't heard before, and I think that's good because you know any album that tries to fuse two things should hopefully try and encourage people to maybe listen to something different or take a new perspective on on other artists. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's. I mean, I think that's all on t- in terms of sampling. I. I mean, there's the other the debate of of art and what makes. There's. I saw this interesting thing about uh, a, a rapper who had sampled like a Turtles song or something. Okay. And, and the Turtles guy being like, "Oh well, you know, it's not art or whatever." So it's like this. And I think what the the 1991 case against um, Bismarcky was like sort of set a precedent of hip hop being and sample culture and hip hop being viewed as a kind of stealing that mm. that it had to be sort of you know uh, even if it is small snippets or something that it's kind of being indebted to something and it can't just be a a culture like graffiti or something that exists yeah uh, as a kind of subsidiary and as a uh an outsider culture that that doesn't necessarily been limited by the same commercial sort of limitation yeah that's interesting and it yeah it's interesting that especially in this example of an album that does it so well you you know you couldn't it obviously there's a different context because of the fact that he's been given this sort of carte blanche to to work with old material and unreleased material but i don't think you could come to the end of this album and think that that wasn't a fantastic way of reworking and sampling tracks and I think it's a fantastic so obviously it has a slightly different context but you know this album stands out to me as, as being a very um, very good you know very good sample heavy album and you know is a, is a standout so yeah it's a it's an interesting one and, and yeah okay I have conjured a special quiz this week do you have any content i have a quiz yes um but i'm happy what is your special quiz on okay it's called big wikipedia sample quiz and it is essentially i give you a band but you have to tell me what wikipedia page excerpt uh what what it's referring to which album of theirs it's referring to which album of that band it's referring to yes okay I think they're actually easier than a lot of questions I've given you before. Okay, and how, how many how many questions are there? Three. Okay, cool. Right, go on then. They're all good quizzes. Okay. The first uh, band is Talking Heads, and the Wikipedia okay. excerpt, the sample, if you will, is this album's tour was documented in Jonathan Demme's 1984 film, Stop Making Sense. It's funny that because obviously we've we've talked about that, but actually thinking which album it is is mm. is slightly more difficult than you got to think than... of the songs. What songs are? Uh... I saw the the new Spike Lee. I think film. surely surely it's sorry. Go on, I'll, I'll think. Oh, I was just saying, I saw American Utopia at the London Film Festival. It was really, oh yeah, rather good. So it was great. Is it? Was it speaking in songs? Yes. Come on. Yes. That's one point. Yes, excellent. Uh, second band is the Smiths. Okay. This one I think is really easy because I don't know. I should. Okay. 
Morrissey forbade the rest of the group from being photographed eating meat. I am going to guess that it's um, meat is murder. Yeah, that's quite right. Fantastic. Look at this. I'm too right. This is unprecedented. Okay, and I think you'll know this one as well. And I was going to choose a harder sample for this okay. one, but third one's Radiohead. Okay. And it is Radiohead considered releasing the work as a double album, but decided the material was too dense. Okay. See that? Mm. Well, so I think maybe that maybe could be a know. number of Radiohead albums, actually. Yeah. Radiohead considered releasing it as a double album. Hmm. There's like you know, there's more to the Wikipedia. Like I think it is explained. Like you, you could. Like, yeah, I mean, it depends. Okay. Uh, double album. Um, I will guess that it is. It's difficult that because. I don't want to explain my thinking too much because then I'm just overthinking it. I will guess uh, Paranoid Android. Oh no! Okay, computer. I just na- I just named <laughs> I just named named a song on the album. I thought, like, oh, that's a, that's a not a good answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that would have been a bad answer. Yeah. No, I guess that's a good point. But it is wrong. But I, I guess yeah. Excellent. Thanks. Okay, computer did have like okay, not okay. Is like all these extra. Yeah. Do you know my thought process was obviously I called it Paranoid Android, which that was a poor piece of thought process. But um, was that. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, so tell me what the answer is. It's kidding. Well, you see, I thought that because I thought thought of um, Amnesiac, which is, Amnesiac which is the obvious thing. But then I thought, well, why would you be talking like that if they just released another album? So that made me think, okay, it's an album that's okay. got lots of extra material that was never never released. But, ah, mm. ah well. Yeah, well, you got two out of three. I got two out of three. It's not bad for me. No. I have got a special... Um, special quiz. Well, yours is a special quiz. Mine's extra special. Yes. Um, this is um, famous musicians, no, famous artists and their alter egos. Right. So I've got six names. Okay. Um, you've just got to guess whether it's actually the alter ego of an of a of a famous musician. They're, they're all famous people as well. They're not not like mint, not like small ones. Or um, whether you've made it up. Or whether it's made up, yes. Okay. So the first one is Percy Thrillington. <laughs> is that a made-up Elias, or is it is it a real uh, one used? That's fake. It's not real. It's, I'm afraid you're wrong. That's uh, Paul McCartney's alter ego that he used apparently on a um, on a solo work. <laughs> <laughs> Moving That's on, great. next one. Uh, Boots McJangle. That sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> what you made up? I guess it sounds like Bojangles or something. Um, I don't know. It does sound a bit like Bojangles. Yeah, maybe maybe that was the thinking. I don't know. The thinking when you made it up. Well, I'm not giving any clues. I don't, I don't know what you're trying to do oh. to me. Sorry, what was it again? Boots McJangle. Right, I'm saying that's true. That's a real one. Sorry, mate. That's uh, that <laughs> was made up. That, unfortunately, the third one, Doctor Winston O'Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> this is so difficult, you know. 
Why can't you just put Z Stardust or something? Come on, yeah, well, I like... thought of putting, I thought of doing that, and then I thought, you know, let's talk. I thought this one would be more, more exciting for you. Sorry, that was Doctor Doctor Winston O'Boogie. Right, that's uh, that's real. That is real. Yeah, well done. That was John Lennon. Oh my god, the Beatles are really coming up quite poor. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, next one is uh, Cherry Cuckoo. Right, Cherry Cuckoo. Wait, have these all been real so far? No, no, Boots McJangle was made up, although I'm sure Madly probably used it at some point doing right. it with some... Uh, um, okay, and this one was... Sorry, I keep forgetting them. Cherry Cuckoo, this one. Mm. I think Cherry Cuckoo you've made up. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. It's oh. um, it's real. That's uh, Courtney Love. Uh, this is so, so yeah. difficult. Don't worry, Joe. There's only two more. The next one is David Sandcastle. Okay, that sounds really real, but at the same time, it sounds bland. I think you've made it up. I have made that one up, yeah. It's right. a pretty bland one that I've made up. Um, and the final one uh, of today's uh, special, special quiz, uh, Carlo Von Sexron. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to know if you've made that up, really. I yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe that's a clue. Would I have made that up? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a real one. It is a real one. That's uh, Josh Homme from Queens of Stone Age. Okay, good name. So, yeah, there you go. And thus concludes the um, Alter Egos quiz. Okay. And I think I scored less than half, didn't I? It wasn't good. Yeah, I don't think. I think you might have got two. I think you might have got three, three rights. Okay. That's All not right. bad. It wasn't looking good at the start. <laughs> that brings us to the close of our sample episode. Yeah. I think see you all uh, see you all next time when yeah. I've I've got I've got to make a decision. Yeah, you do. I found the decision making process quite I spent too long on it. It's just like just pick something, just go with Yeah, it. just just pick something, yeah. Okay. Mm. I'll have a good think. Cool. All right. See everyone next week. I thought you were going to say bye as well, though. You betrayed me. Oh, sorry. Were you? Uh, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> I think I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs>